0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Hey, friends. Thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash bpshow. Patreon.com slash bpshow.
2: Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show.
3: It is The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. My name is Peter Ogburn sitting in for Bill Press today. On a Friday, July 28th, as we round out the month, we were uh, we were hit with a news hammer yesterday, man. All day long, every time I turn around, more news, more news, more news, and that's just kind of how it goes these days. I, I, where where to begin? I guess I'll, we'll start out by talking about the fact that the Republicans' attempt to repeal Obamacare is dead again, and it's fitting that the person who killed it was John McCain from Arizona. We will talk all about that and tell you the TikTok of how that happened yesterday. Also, Anthony Scaramucci is probably just waking up and burying his face into a pile of cocaine to face the day. Probably. I don't know if the guy does a lot of coke. I can't say he does a lot of coke, but I've hung out with a lot of people who do a lot of coke and they remind me of Anthony Scaramucci. That's all I'm going to say. We're going to talk about that and his clown shoes crazy day yesterday it's going to be a wild wild show ladies and gentlemen thank you for tuning in lots to cover but first
2: this is the full court press
4: just a couple of other stories for you on this Friday morning we'll start with some uh, semi-breaking news you may have gotten a lot of push notifications overnight woke up to those saw the healthcare notices and maybe skipped over this one From the New York Times, we've learned that Russia has seized two American diplomatic properties and ordered the U.S. Embassy in Moscow to reduce its staff by September. This, of course, in um, retaliation to the new proposed American sanctions. Of course, we know this week the House passed a bill, uh, some pretty strong new sanctions against Russia. The Senate passed the same bill yesterday. Those sanctions also included... um, rules against uh iran and north korea we don't know uh what the american embassy is going to do here they have not responded as of yet but russia has taken some pretty clear steps they are not happy with this new bill trump of course uh, has to sign the bill for it to go into law
3: now i don't know how this is going to play out but i don't have a very good feeling about it i just put it that way because this is i mean trump is going to have to have some sort of showdown with Russia here, and I don't trust him to do it. so It does
4: not look good at this point. Uh, moving on to the world's richest people. Uh, yesterday, Jeff Bezos of uh, the Washington Post and more notably of Amazon.com was briefly the world's richest man. He passed Bill Gates for a number of hours I yesterday. It. I know, briefly. right? Just briefly, just, and then I dropped out. It's, a couple, it. it's a couple of hours. Uh, what had happened was... His shares of Amazon climbed um, pretty high, pretty high. Uh, Bezos yesterday at one point had a net worth of 92.3 billion. That passed Bill Gates' net worth of 90.8 billion. Whew, that was close. Jeez. Uh, I'm looking at the Bloomberg Billionaires Index. That is a thing that you can look up as a full list here of the world's richest peoples. Uh, and it uh, it updates by the minute, which is which is really fun by the minute the billionaires index.
3: can you imagine your wealth going up and down that much? Ugh. in such a short period of time. Bill
4: Gates is now at ninety point seven billion staying at number one. Jeff Bezos at eighty nine point three billion now number two you want to guess anybody else on the billionaire index by the way Warren Buffett
3: Peter? Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett is number four. okay, Warren Buffett. Uh... Amancio
4: Ortego is number three. He's from Spain. I've never heard of him. okay.
3: There's the who's the uh, Carlos Slim? Is Carlos Slim on the list? My man Carlos Slim is number six. I love Carlos Slim.
4: Uh, he is behind the uh, Zuck, Mark Zuckerberg. Oh duh, yeah, of course. Who might be running for president? He's probably. Going you think to he'll run, run for, president? for president?
3: I think I think Mark Zuckerberg is going to run for president, and I think that's probably going to be the end of America. Oh geez. All right. Uh, one
4: last bit of news here: John Stewart uh, will be returning to television uh, in just a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Here.
5: Oh, you don't care about that. <sighs> <sighs>
4: Oh man, he's got a stand-up special coming out November eighteenth. HBO will also give two different specials aside from this autism special. Hardest of yawn. All right, hardest of yawns.
2: On your radio, on TV, and online. This is The Bill Press Show.
3: Hello everybody, it is The Bill Press Show here on a Friday, July 28th, live on Young Turks Network, live on Free Speech TV, live on YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Folks, what a day, what a day, what a day, we got on tap for Friday's show. So much breaking news, so many things happening overnight. We are your one-stop shop. Everything you need, baby. We got it. I'm just going to start out and say it. John McCain killed the Republicans' chance to repeal Obamacare last night, late last night, like one in the morning late last night. I should say early this morning. Uh, It came down to where they needed three votes. They did not get them. Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, and John McCain stepped up when he needed to step up and killed this whole idea of skinny repeal which like oh god i like to go through this whole thing of how they played this out so yesterday this idea of the skinny repeal looked like it was going to fail so then republicans came back in the senate and said well here's what we'll do now if the house promises us that they'll take the bill to conference, then we'll vote yes. What that means, by the way, is that they'll pass the bill in the Senate, they'll send it to the House, the House will, quote, send it to conference, which means it would fall apart. I mean, literally, that was the goal, is for the House to get their hands on it again and to kill it, take it to conference, rip it to shreds, and take it nowhere so that it would not pass. But the Senate, could, the House could say, well, we repealed Obamacare, and the Senate could say, well, we repealed Obamacare too. And that way they could go back to their constituents and say that they repealed Obamacare while their constituents still enjoyed the fruits of Obamacare. It is the most blatant, flim-flam job that I've seen the Congress do in a really, really long time. Do you understand why people hate Washington, D.C.? Do you understand why people hate Congress? Do you understand why people hate their elected officials so many times? Because of stuff like this. Just just have to wrap your head around that for a second. The House passed a bill and sent to the Senate that the Senate was going to pass and send to the House so that the House could kill the bill. They wouldn't vote for the Senate health care bill unless the House promised not to pass it. So that's where we started. That's what we were working with yesterday, which is insane. I mean, full on insane. So Paul Ryan had to come out yesterday and he said something like, we're open to the idea of taking it to conference, which is not a promise which is what guys like John McCain and Lindsey Graham and uh, Jeff Flake and a couple of others promised or or, or, or had requested. So he didn't give them that. That didn't stop uh, Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham still voted for the skinny repeal. Uh, It didn't stop essentially any other Republicans.
4: Ron Johnson, who had taken a brief stand earlier in the week.
3: Yeah. He still voted yes. Yeah. John Ronson, who was going to uh be one of these voices that was gonna help stop it, he didn't do anything.
4: But Mitch McConnell got red in the face, and you know one. when that turtle shell starts shaking, <laughs> you wanna you wanna take
3: a few steps back. Mitch McConnell had this like pinkish, like a dark pinkish and blue tie, and that face of his started to match the color of his tie late in the night. And that was funny to me. I I was amused. President Trump. President. But like, all this talk about leadership and the Republicans and the Democrats didn't know how to lead and the Democrats rammed Obamacare through and, I mean, it it all is evaporating right in front of our eyes. First of all, the idea that the Democrats didn't work with Republicans and Obamacare is a myth. It's a fable. It's phony, fake baloney. Republicans aggressively said they would not get involved in any debate on Obamacare. That we're rewriting history here for all of these uh, Republicans that say, oh, the Democrats, well, the Democrats never worked with us on anything." That the the Democrats tried, and the Republicans refused. So the skinny bill is dead. Well, the skinny repeal is dead. This could always come back up, but it looks to me, as of now, that Mitch McConnell and his bag of tricks uh, has finally run out of outlets here. Donald Trump tweeting last night at 10.43 p.m. Go, Republican senators, go! Go! Get there after waiting for seven years. Give America great health care. And then as it fell apart at 2.25 a.m., a little less than five hours ago, Donald Trump tweeted, three Republicans and 48 Democrats let the American people down. As I said from the beginning, let Obamacare implode, then deal. Watch. Now, Yeah, he said that from the beginning, but he's also said a lot of things from the beginning. His story has changed so much that, like, I don't even know where he goes from here. Are they going to pick this back up? Maybe. They barely got it out of the House, and it was barely killed in the Senate. So... Will they find a way to get Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, or uh, John McCain back on board for some form of skinny repeal? I do not know. I do not know. But I will say this. All of the talk that we've had about John McCain over the last couple of weeks and what kind of politician he is absolutely stands. John McCain, the idea of him being some great American and some wonderful representative uh, of, of democracy here is a myth. A blind pig finds an acorn every once in a while. Last night, John McCain got it right on healthcare, and uh, we'll give him credit for that. Look, well, go ahead. Can we can we give the the women some credit as well, please? Well, yeah. Look, I, look, I'm not trying to short shrift them, but they've been consistent on this I, I, the whole time. I get time.
4: it. I get it. He he, yeah. he gave the decisive vote and whatnot.
3: Good for Susan Collins. Good for Lisa Murkowski. And and even more so, they they've sort of stood up against this from the beginning.
4: The, and that's why I'd rather give them credit.
3: That's true. You're right. It's a very good. It's a valid point. Uh, but I will. I mean, I will say John McCain did the right thing for once. Yes. For once, I agree. That's my point. And we didn't have to have a speech, which no. is good. No. I didn't want that again. I didn't want another speech. The uh, the audio of John McCain when he came out and voted, but it's it's hard to play. It's no, it's not worth us playing. But he like he just sort of gave a shouted the word no, and the Democratic senators he gasps applause and applause. Everybody freaked out when it happened. It was dramatic to say the least. Look, what's the takeaway from this? Well, the biggest takeaway I think is that it does matter, uh, what we say and how we act and, and how we make our voices heard. Did John McCain vote no on this because of the pressure from protesters? Maybe, maybe not. Did Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins? Probably. I mean, they have a lot of people who rely on it in their states. And they let them know. So, like, we got to get out there. We got to make our voices heard. We got to continue this, not just on health care, but on the next issue. Want to shout out uh, our buddy Ben Wickler. Ben Wickler is on my list of people, yeah, absolutely. Washington director
4: for Move On. He was there uh, outside the Capitol all night last night.
3: I don't think anybody's worked harder or organized more effectively or gotten loud or had a louder voice in this movement than Ben Wickler. In fact, this is what it sounded like last night outside the Capitol as,
4: as the, the bill failed.
5: Yes, we did!
3: And if you want something that'll really brighten up your day, that clip of Mitch McConnell after it was uh, killed, after the bill was killed, and Mitch McConnell had to go on and talk about what a disappointment this was. This is a disappointment.
1: <laughs> a disappointment indeed.
3: Ah! <laughs> Good. I hope it's a disappointment. I hope you can't sleep. I hope it keeps you up at night because this is the one thing you were supposed to do and you can't do it. <laughs> of these people Mitch McConnell uh, uh Paul Ryan even everybody's favorite Ben's ass all these people that oh republicans are going to learn how to lead even though Donald Trump is not uh uh the the candidate we had hoped for all these republicans they they have this super majority they're going to be able to get things done <laughs> Uh, you guys are so bad. You guys are so bad. It's it's like they have no idea what they're doing. Next time, when when we have the midterm elections, and you see these Republicans that are going to go around making the claim that Democrats don't know how to lead, just throw this in their face. This is the one thing they promised to do, and they can't do it with a goddamn supermajority. They can't get anything done. Nothing. Nothing. What are they going to do next? Tax reform? Great. Bring it on. Let's see. Let's see what they got. Let's see what they got. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. We're on Twitter, by the way, at BP Show. At BP Show, if you have any comments, we'd love to read those. Um, look, guys, where do we go from here? It, it really does depend on where um, Mitch McConnell takes this. Because I, I don't think that this is dead, dead, dead. I think that this is as big of a... Uh, blow to the repeal of Obamacare that we've seen yet. I mean, they just kept watering it down and watering it down and watering it down and watering it down until we get to this. So now it's going to be up to, I think, Democrats to sort of offer up some sort of a fix, offer up some, some sort of a better plan. Chuck Schumer last night even sort of hinting at the fact that, like, we can do better. Um... So will we do better? I hope so. I'd like to think so, but it's time, it's time to make something happen at BP show is where you could find us on Twitter now, even great it's good news. It's great news. I'm so happy and I'm so excited and I'm so pleased that everybody t- sort of took part in that. But. Um, That is definitely the biggest story of the day, and we'll be talking about that all throughout the show. We've got Congressman Al Green in studio in the next hour. We're also going to be talking about Fox News and the transgender uh, troop ban from Donald Trump with Julie Milliken, Deputy Research Director at Media Matters for America. And you might uh, have heard about this new movie coming out called Detroit, the screenwriter and producer of this movie. Yeah, how'd you pull that one off? He's a friend of mine. Is he really? Yeah, that's right. You guys go back? No. I, I made that up. No, he's been on the show before. Oh, cool. And, uh, I, I didn't realize.
4: He, so he works uh, exclusively almost with Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. She directed Detroit. He wrote Zero Dark Thirty, and he also wrote um, Hurt Locker. Yeah, Hurt Locker.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We Which, had him in, uh, I think, for Zero Dark Thirty, I think.
4: Did you see Hurt Locker was,
3: uh,
4: it made the top 25, that New York Times list? All top time.
3: 25 best movie of all time? No, yeah. It's a, it's a no for me. It's not in the top 20. I got to rewatch it. It's a it made me think. It is 100% not in my top 25. Well, it's a very good movie. I'm looking forward to you telling that to Mark when you I'll he tell gets him here. that. I look. I mean, it's an excellent, excellent, excellent movie. You know what I watched uh, the other day cuz it just came on TV was uh-huh. Zero, Zero Dark 30 came on. Yeah. And I hadn't watched that in a while. It's a good movie. It is. It's not, like a, it's not like an astounding movie, but like it's one of those movies that I'll get sort of wrapped up into. They do it's, a good job of storytelling.
4: It's one of those rare uh, historical dramas where it probably came too soon, but once Agreed. you got through the end of it, you said, meh, okay. Yeah. I see where they were going. I think that's right. Or, by the way, are you going to see that new 9-11 movie with Charlie Sheen? Absolutely not.
3: <laughs> and Wolfie Goldberg? Absolutely not. I, I
4: don't, by the way, I don't think enough people know about this. I know. I there know. is a new movie that is literally called 9-11.
3: Which which Oliver Stone made a movie called 9 right? 11. Right,
4: there's another movie called 9 11 with Charlie Sheen and Whoopi Goldberg, and I think it's like uh, a bunch of victor or a bunch of people who survived.
3: I'm going to read. Like, I'm meeting I'm, up. And... I've gone to the Wikipedia. A group of five people find themselves trapped in an elevator in the North Tower of the is. World Trade Center during September 11. They work together, never giving up hope to try and escape before the unthinkable happens. Um Starring Charlie Sheen, Gina Gershon, <laughs> Louise Guzman, <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, my God. I want to make
4: another movie about September 11th. Who
3: do we cast in the lead role? The, literally maybe the, one of the most unhinged Americans we have, Charlie Sheen. Who, who directed it? Uh, directed by Martin Jugee. Mm. Juge. Nope. It looks horrible. The, the, the uh, poster alone. First of all, Gina Gershon- Like hasn't been around forever. This sounds like
4: I predict that lasts about mm, two weeks in theaters, and then head straight to DVD. I think you're right. Video on demand.
3: Oh, oh, oh! Also in the movie, Clint Howard.
4: Who's Clint Howard?
3: Ron Howard's brother. Like, yeah, like the weird-looking Clint Howard.
4: Oh, now Uh, you have my attention.
3: (laughs) Yeah, you had my attention. Now you have my curiosity. boy oh boy (laughs) (laughs) all right so listen here in uh washington dc here in the media there is a new character that is emerging that i am full on in love with and his name is anthony scaramucci aka the mooch who gave himself the nickname the mooch by the way But uh, here's a little bit of what happened in the last 24 hours with Anthony Scaramucci. So he's the new White House communications director. And he was not given a job in the Trump administration for this whole time, even though he was one of those really heavy water carriers during the uh, campaign, during the election. So Reince Priebus, along with Sean Spicer and along with other people, strongly told Donald Trump, do not hire Anthony Scaramucci. He is not smart. He is unhinged. He has business ties that are questionable at best. So what does Trump do? Naturally, he hires him to work as not just like a... a, out-of-the-scenes type of uh, job, but as the communications director for the White House. So, this story goes, Donald Trump had a dinner on Wednesday night with Bill Shine, who left Fox News in disgrace because he made sure that uh, Bill O'Reilly and others got away with sexually harassing women and authorized payments to them. He had dinner with Kimberly Guilfoyle and Sean Hannity. And the story of who was at the dinner leaked out to the press, as in somebody just gave them, oh, here's who's having dinner at the White House tonight. So Anthony Scaramucci loses his mind, and he calls Ryan Lizza from the New Yorker, who's also uh, with CNN, and Lizza goes on CNN to talk a little bit about this dinner, and Scaramucci calls in via telephone. And this is how it happened yesterday, live on CNN, as they have uh, Anthony Scaramucci on the phone talking to Andrew, uh, uh, Chris Cuomo, not Andrew Cuomo, uh, Chris Cuomo and uh, Ryan yeah, same thing. Yeah, same thing. And he first of all talks about how this, his whole thing here is he's out to fire the leakers.
5: We are working together, the president and myself and other members of his team in law enforcement, to undercut, undercut and undercover, or, or out, if you will, the leakers in the entire country.
3: And he specifically gets into Reince Priebus and essentially cu- accuses Reince Priebus of being the guy who's leaking stuff to the press.
5: If Reince wants to explain that he's not a leaker, let him do that. Listen to that. That is amazing. That is
3: amazing. I mean, he's essentially saying I think Reince is the leaker and he's going to have to come on and defend himself and say that he's not.
4: By the way, I, I want to play this clip too. Uh
5: those are the types of leaks that are so treasonous that 150 years ago people would have actually been hung for those types of leaks.
4: It's right on par with the Trump administration. <laughs> but more importantly, isn't it hanged?
3: Uh hanged is the is the correct use. It's yes, James, you're absolutely correct. You're it's absolutely right. Hanged. Correct. hanged hanged is the right way to say it but it's also he they leaked out dinner guests at the white house it's hardly something worth i mean that's hardly treasonous
5: it like it's crazy 50 years ago people would have actually been hung for those types of leaks (laughs) Uh,
3: the mooch so naturally washington dc does what it does best and starts hand-wringing over what does this mean and what's going to happen next and is Reince going to make it? How long do we give Reince previous, Jamie? I give him a solid 2 weeks.
4: Uh I would say less. I think I think we're I think next week we'll see a change.
3: I'll say this about the Trump, you might be right by the way. But the, I'll say this about the Trump administration. They they have sort of slowly started pushing people off the cliff, right? Like Sean Spicer was out of the spotlight for a long time before they finally dropped the hammer on him. Poor Sean Spicer.
4: By the way, I'm going to go ahead and put up a poll on our Twitter at BP Show. Let's get it. How long do you think Ryan's Priebus has left? Let's do uh, it in the Trump White House
3: at BP Show. Follow us. Give me a quick minute here. I'm going to put it right up. All right, y'all. Make sure you go find that. So here's, as they say, the rest of the story. Ryan Lizza spoke to Anthony Scaramucci at on the evening of Wednesday before this whole thing. Uh, sort of blew up on CNN, and Ryan Lizza wrote the story for The New Yorker, and that dropped yesterday afternoon. And he gives us a little bit of insight as to how Anthony Scaramucci does business. He immediately called Lizza, and I'm going to read directly from this New Yorker piece. Who leaked that to you, he asked. I said I couldn't give him that information. He responded by threatening to to fire the entire White House communications staff. Quote, what I'm going to do is I will eliminate everyone on the communications team and we'll start over. I ask these guys not to leak anything and they can't help themselves. You're an American citizen. This is an American to catastrophe. So I'm asking you as an American patriot to give me a sense of who leaked it. End quote. Which Ryan Lizza points out, by the way. That like that's hardly a way to entice a reporter to give up their sources. Like, is that really what's going to convince a reported to reveal their source. Think of your patriotism. Yeah, right. You're an American patriot. You need to, I mean, the guy, he found out who had dinner the other night. So he kept going, is an assistant to the president? And Liz again says, I can't tell you. Scaramucci says, quote, okay, I'm going to fire every one of them and you haven't protected anybody. So the entire place will be fired over the next two weeks. End quote. Again, there have been times in my life where I have exhibited such erratic behavior, but it was usually the time in my life that I was doing giant mounds of cocaine for breakfast. That's the only type of personality that I know that acts like this. That's me. Not not this morning, good God! But
4: do you know who this is?
3: Is that Trump? Is that the sniff from the like the yeah yeah yeah?
4: I hadn't we hadn't played that in a while. It's it's appropriate. You know, you wonder why Trump likes Scaramucci so much.
3: Yeah, maybe he's got... That's his connect. Maybe he's got a connect. Yeah, exactly. Scaramucci goes on, quote, I fired one guy the other day. I have three to four I'll fire tomorrow. I'll get to the person who leaked it to you. Reince Priebus, if you want to leak something, he'll be asked to resign very shortly, end quote. So he's saying he's going to go up and ask Reince Priebus for his resignation (laughs) based on really nothing here. He's just going to fire everybody, every single person. He's going to fire. You see that picture yesterday uh, from
4: the uh, from the White House. Oh yeah, the two of them. Apparently, they had sat on the same couch during a meeting with the president yesterday morning. Uh, after that meeting was over, two opposite ends of the room, uh, basically glaring at each other, looked like someone pointed out looked like the sharks and the jets from West Side Story.
3: <laughs> First of all, those two snakes in a room is humorous enough, but like Scaramucci's got those Manson lamps. That I would absolutely, positively not want to get in his way. You know, I would never
4: defend Ryan Priebus. Never. Because I think he's awful. But, They're both terrible. You know, there have been many a TV hits with Ryan Priebus, specifically on the Sunday morning shows, where it literally looks like someone is holding a gun to his head. Yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's Scaramucci. Maybe it's Scaramucci. The Mucci. whole time?
3: Yeah. That's the master play here. Scaramucci's got a gun, right? Like, he looks like a guy who's got a gun. Oh, 100%. 100% got a gun. That's not even the worst of this. So he goes on. He parks it on Reince Priebus for a second. I I wish, I wish, I wish I could read exactly what Scaramucci said, but I'm just going to have to paraphrase it. Quote, Reince is a effing paranoid schizophrenic, a paranoiac. Oh, Bill Shine is coming in. Let me leak the effing thing and see if I can C-block... These people, the way I see blocked Scaramucci for six months. End quote. Well done. Rooster block.
4: Not I'm easy to, to read a passage like that on, on, on radio. I'm
3: telling you. So, like, he's. He calls Wright's Priebus a paranoid schizophrenic, an effing paranoid schizophrenic. Like,. What is happening? <laughs> and that's not it, by the way. He also talks about Steve Bannon, who is sort of the mastermind here of the White House. And he says he's trying to convince Lizza. I'll wrap it up in a second. But he's trying to convince Lizza that he has no interest in media attention by saying, quote, I'm not Steve Bannon. I'm not trying to s my own C. I'm trying to build my own brand off the effing strength of the president. I'm here to serve the country, end quote. Parentheses, Bannon declined to comment on whether or not he's trying to S his own C.
4: You know, uh, another part of that CNN interview from yesterday
5: Yeah, was this. I don't like the activity that's going on in the White House. I don't like what they're doing to my friends. I...
4: I don't like what they're doing to my friends. Yeah. Okay. Your enemies are Reince Priebus yeah. and Steve Bannon, yeah. who are already enemies themselves. Yeah, right, Those right. are the two major wings of the
3: White House. Who are your friends? You know, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders in that third clip where she talked about what Trump likes, this I think is
0: very, very telling. The president likes that type of competition and encourages it. Um, the people that are here are here because they love the president, they love this country, and they want to see the best things happen.
3: If you think that this Anthony Scaramucci interview was enough for Donald Trump to say, oh, well, this is too much. I don't like this. Or for him to say, Anthony Scaramucci, shame on you. This is my trusted team and I hate this. This is a bad look for the White House. If you think that that's the case and that's the reaction that Donald J. Trump had, folks, you would be wrong. (laughs) He loves this. He loves this. He was probably watching all this with his pants around his ankles all day long, loving every moment of it. Just sipping on it, taking it all in. This is Trump. Scaramucci is like a spinoff from the Trump show. Now here's the only problem, by the way. When Scaramucci becomes a bigger story than Trump, then he's going to get a bullet in the back of his head, metaphorically. He will not let Anthony Scaramucci become the the uh, king of the spotlight, because that is kind of what's happening here. It's the Trump show. It is not the Scaramucci show. Anthony Scaramucci's got to learn that. He's going to fly too close to the sun. At BP Show is where we are tweeting, at BP Show. Give us your comments. It's a great day uh, to... Uh be in radio, on TV, and to talk about this stuff because there's so much going on, and even more so because it was a big, big win for progressives yesterday as Obamacare stuck around for at least another day. We'll see how much I, I don't think
4: Peter would have the top two buttons unbuttoned if, if it wasn't such a great day today, huh?
3: You see. No, no, no. It's a good thing. Go ahead. Come oh, on. I always wear the top. It's let hot it out. Out. It's a million degrees out and not to out. mention, somebody in this studio, by the way, has been messing with the air conditioning, and I came in here, and it was set on 80 degrees. Not me. I'm not saying it was you. I'm just saying. I- I'm just trying to let it breathe a little bit, okay? I'm from
4: Maine. I like the cold.
3: Let me breathe for a minute. At BP Show is where we are. Find us there. I don't like that. We'll be right back. What? What? What is the latest... On the transgendered military policy, Donald Trump seems to think he can govern by Twitter. We will talk to Julie Milliken from Media Matters for America. Stay tuned.
0: And he used some colorful language that uh, I don't anticipate he'll do again.
2: Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show.
3: It is The Bill Press Show, 37 minutes past the hour here on a Friday, July 28th. My name is Peter Ogden, sitting in today. Thank you all so very much for tuning in. Remember, we are on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, You could also... Follow me on Twitter at Peter Ogburn. Follow Jamie on Twitter at J Benson DC. Jamie, I understand that we might have an uh entry into the mail sack. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Is there an old did one you we have? On
4: Maybe. Oh you did? I didn't see it yet. We'll have to
3: see. We'll have to see. I haven't seen it yet. Just stay tuned. By the way, one other quick follow up on uh on uh John McCain and the healthcare uh Bill, which the repeal, uh, the skinny repeal of Obamacare, was killed last night. Uh, Dan O'Sullivan, bro pair on Twitter, says this morning, uh, McCain orchestrated the opportunity to advance a bill that would kill people far enough that he might be able to have his star moment. That's insane. It seems so utterly obvious, but then the point was to create irresistible high drama for his legacy, and he'll probably succeed. So, like, before we get too over the moon about. John McCain. Let's not forget that the reason that this got so close is because he made his big triumphant return to allow it to happen, which is a little grotesque, I think. Speaking of grotesque, Donald Trump, um, uh, this week on Twitter, I, I'm pulling up the actual tweets because he he thought that I guess he could end the uh or. or outlaw transgender uh, tra- members of the transgender community from serving in the armed forces. We're going to talk about that with Julie Milliken. She is Senior Advisor for Media Matters for America. She joins us in studio now. Good morning, Julie. How are you doing? Good morning. Good. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for coming in. Uh, I'm, I'm pulling up the Trump tweets because it, it was a couple days ago. Here we go. Uh, I'm just going to read this as he wrote it. After a consultation with my generals and military experts, please be advised that the United States government will not accept or allow transgender individuals to serve in any capacity in the U.S. military. Our military must be focused on decisive and overwhelming victory and cannot be burdened with the tremendous medical cost and disruption that transgender and the military would entail. Thank you. Uh, that is a quote from Donald Trump, who 100% did not write that himself. But that is what he has put out. So how will the military respond to this? We'll have to wait and see. But we know how Fox News has responded to this, uh, something that you all do a very good job of at Media Matters, keeping Mm -hmm. tabs on Fox News. What was the reaction there?
0: Well, Fox News actually was initially a little quiet about it. Um, Mm -hmm. It took them a while to get started, uh, to cover it during the day they – Waited to probably about midday before they did their first straight news report on it. But it was really got rolling with Tucker Carlson, um, as we one would expect. (laughs) Um, Tucker is, you know, uh, not not what we would call a friend to the LGBT community. Um, So he uh, was supportive of Trump's move. Um, He again cited this bogus talking point um, that the uh, allowing um, transgender uh, service members to serve openly would somehow Cost too much money um, would affect military readiness. Um, of course, that's not accurate. Um, but Many military uh, uh, research has been done on, um, like, the Rand Corporation, for instance, um, showing that the cost is so negligible that it actually costs more to cover Viagra than it would. Uh, I like know. Yeah. That, that,
3: that <laughs> stat alone is like,
0: come on.
3: Like, right. how much money are they saying that when he talks about the medical costs, how much money are we realistically talking about?
0: A few million. Not much. Yeah. I mean, it's literally dropping the bucket, right? Point zero zero four percent, I think, um, to maybe 001 percent mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of the military budget. That's how small it is. And it's we definitely
3: nothing. spend more on Viagra.
0: Yeah. I, I, what one report that I saw? I think the estimate was around forty some million dollars on Viagra. Oh my question. God! What? Yeah.
3: How much? How, many, how much
0: Viagra do they need? God only knows.
3: <laughs> what do they use all that Viagra for? I mean, I know what it's used for, but what do they need that in the military for?
0: We can only speculate. Yes, we can only speculate. speculate. You know. So the other interesting thing about Fox was Tucker Carlson had Vice President Pence on uh, the night that Trump a- a announced via tweet that he was planning on uh, implementing this ban. Um, Pence, as your uh, listeners might be aware, it w- was a big proponent of this. He was pushing really hard for uh, an amendment in the House um, to uh, to ban transgender um, um, servicemen and women from serving, um, particularly, uh, again, citing uh Bogus talking points about the costs and so-called, um, you know, mil- impact on negative impact on military readiness. Um, Tucker had Pence on and declined to take the opportunity to question Pence about this. Did not come up once. Um, so of course, uh, given Pence a pass on what he had been doing behind the scenes, because again, he had recently been pushing um, very strongly for a House amendment that surprisingly failed. Um, in the House of Representatives um, 24 Republicans cross sides with Democrats actually to block that amendment um so
3: what I think is so interesting about this is um you know I think that I don't want I, I don't want to say anything too definitive here but it kind of mm-hmm. feels like the, the the war over the LGBT stuff the culture wars right kind of over, it kind of been one. And I, and, I, and I don't mean to say that in like a dismissive way because I know there's still a lot of work to do and the mm-hmm. fight, it goes on, and that's always going to be the case. I think that there's always going to be a fight for full equality as long as we're alive. Mm-hmm. But I think that the, the war for public perception, I just think there are a lot of people who just don't care anymore. You yeah, know, like, I- do I really honestly care uh, if I'm a soldier
0: Well, so that's the thing. I think we uh, personally, I think we have to be careful about that. Um, What we saw, I mean, looking back at how the media covered Trump, for instance, on LGBTQ issues back during the election, he was painted as this like pro, you know, LGBTQ Republican um, because he said he was. And the media really uh, most of the media or a lot of people in the media took him at face value at that. Now he gets elected uh, and. Certainly, he, his actions since being elected and, and you know, actions prior to actually during the campaign shows that he's actually not and that they're going to do what they can. I mean, we might think that this, the culture wars are dead when it comes to LGBTQ issues, but it's it's not for them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very upset by the progress that's been made. And, they, and this you know, group of conservative Republicans are working really hard to be able to roll back all that progress that's been made over the last eight years. Um, and so we shouldn't discount that and think that just because they're on the wrong side of history and they're on the wrong side of what p- current public opinion is doesn't mean that that's going to stop them.
3: So the, um, the next step here, I think, is like, of where this actually happens, I don't know that Donald Trump is actually genuinely tied to this. It's just like an idea that he put out there and then somebody pointed out uh jonathan swan from axios talked to a senior trump administration administration official who said essentially we're trying to create a culture war here we mm-hmm. want vulnerable senators to have to go out and say we stand with these people these tra- these tra- members of the transgender community who want to serve um is that a wedge issue anymore politically speaking
0: politically speaking i think uh, a it's disgusting that you would uh, ban an entire group of people from serving For when, sure especially when let's be honest donald trump have managed to avoid the draft how many times five times i believe <laughs> um, so he's not exactly the the most credible person to saying who is and is not uh, able to serve but if you want to look at the political implications of it i would point back again to that house vote that i, I referenced 24 republicans from vulnerable districts most of them um, voted with democrats because it may they may think it's a wedge issue, but it's also an issue that progressives, um, independents, uh, care very very much about. Uh, and I don't think it's really going to play. Democrats came right out and said, "That's fine if you want to if you want to make this an issue, discrimination an issue, and say that that's your platform, we yeah. would happily do that. Yeah, sure, yeah, bring bring that, right. mm-hmm. bring that fine on. bring that
3: fine on. A hundred percent. Right, absolutely. So, uh, Fox News. they 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 continue to push this and they continue to just like like we're getting awfully close to state-run media right nobody's actually questioning whether or not the president is uh, acting in good faith or acting as
0: or even acting i mean what's interesting what's interesting about all of this (laughs) is that the joint chiefs came out yesterday i think that's kind of getting lost in a lot of the coverage is the joint chiefs come come out yesterday and say uh, we haven't received anything official and until then we are going to continue to be inclusive in our service and respect the, the, all of our service members, you know. So they're saying you can't rule via tweet. You have to at least provide proper guidance on this. And until then, we're not changing anything.
3: He 100 percent does not realize that he cannot govern by tweet.
0: Oh, by for, sure. for like, sure. He
3: thinks that that's as good as, you know, law.
0: Yeah, which is- but it also
3: it also like it also shows you know like when he was doing all this this executive order run like where, mm-hmm. right when he was elected or right. Right when he was uh, one of those things a lot of those things, he didn't even do anything
0: right of course I mean it was all let's
3: abolish the presidency that's what we should do let's <laughs> just give the presidency <laughs> altogether right I'm not I'm halfway joking
0: <laughs> well Trump has shown how thin our uh, institutions actually are well I guess we'll put it that way
6: uh, yeah no <laughs> you know <laughs> absolutely yeah
3: no absolutely I you know like. So what? I mean, what what would have to happen for this to become implement? I mean, obviously, like there's a.
0: I'm not I, to be perfectly yeah. frank. Like I'm not a, an expert in this particular area, um, but there are protocols that the president would have to file or f- follow in order to issue a directive to the military, um, saying that there has been this change in policy. Now, Mattis um, is interesting because it seems that. He is not necessarily in favor of the president's actions, or at least making the announcements via tweet. It seemed like the Pentagon itself was kind of caught unaware um, mm-hmm. by what was happening. Um, I actually read some reports indicating that they were so caught unaware that. When he first started tweeting, there was a nine-minute gap between his first tweet and his second tweet. And there were people literally holding their breaths because they thought he was about to announce a strike against North Korea. Oh, my God. Just to, oh God. Right. Oh, so oh just God. to give you a sense of, of how out of the loop and out of nowhere, and also how much BS it was that he made this decision supposedly after consulting military um, officials uh, and his advisors.
3: So Media Matters has done such a good job over the years of of really – Holding it to Fox News mm-hmm. and making sure that people see exactly what Fox News is up to, yeah. but we live in a whole new weird area.
0: Oh, for sure. Like this
3: is this is a whole new dawn for Fox News. Oh yeah, with Trump and like if I just go to mediamatters.org, org, which I do with some frequency, by the way, which you should too. Uh, just a couple of headlines mm-hmm. that I see there, right? <clears throat> "Quote: A lot of people wish tre- President Trump was a dictator." From uh, Jesse Waters. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Jeff Sessions again retreats to his safe space on Tucker Carlson tonight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hannity says holdover bureaucrats must be arrested, prosecuted, charged, and put in jail.
0: Hannity's on another level. I mean, like <laughs> he's on another level since Trump got elected. I, you didn't think he could get worse, and then all of a sudden, you're like. Oh. <laughs> so, like, uh, let's
3: talk for... So like, uh, you know what it on, is.
4: You know what it is. Those jeans are too tight. Those jeans are way too tight. He wears tight. jeans every night, by the way, on yeah, air.
3: They're so tight. In case tight. you didn't know. Yeah, they're so tight. And they always make sure to shoot him from the waist up, though. So, yeah. But let, let's talk first for, about Fox News. Because, like, sure. when we talk about state-run media and people mm-hmm. are sort of throwing that around a little bit with mm-hmm. Fox News, which people, I mean, might be a little too strong, but we're definitely going in that direction. Right. I mean, like, there is no questioning what Donald Trump does from Fox News. It's just... He's doing this, and this is the right thing to do, Mm -hmm. which is a little dangerous for someone to be in if you're in journalism.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's very true, and I think you especially see that um, with Fox & Friends, um, which, uh, yes, I see you wincing there, as you should. The fact that our president wakes up in the morning, and the first thing that he does is turn on Fox & Friends and gets – his information about the day from Steve Ducey and Brian Kilmeade. The two
3: of the dumbest people Uh, in the world.
0: Yes. It it should horrify everybody to the core, frankly. Um, You know, so there's definitely the Trump sycophants at at Fox. I I would say it starts with Fox and Friends. It ends with Sean Hannity. Mm. Um, In between, it's kind of interesting. um, There there have been some instances recently um, where – some Fox figures are starting to, to pull back a little bit from Trump. We'll see if that lasts. Um, but, yeah, by and large, you know, they they are they tow that party line um, to an extent that I, I think even some more regular viewers of Fox um, would be surprised by.
3: So Sean Hannity, I think, is the number one offender Absolutely. at this point. And he's one of the OGs. He's been yep. around for a while. I mean, you look at a lot of them that are, that are gone now. You right. know, O'Reilly is gone and –
0: uh he's he's hiding behind his podcast I he's know. he's trying it's kind of sad. have you listened to For it a little bill i have not heard as much of it i i kind of want to
3: listen to some of it it
0: does entertain me um the yeah. idea of him sitting like in in his house with a microphone just still trying to like hold on to relevancy but talking to the folks yeah folks. talking, to, talking the folks to the folks who don't you know
3: know how they, to use podcasts. right yes yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah uh, um but Sean Hannity is one of the originals, like or, or at least been there for a very, very long right. time. Um, and Fox News looked to try and quiet him down a little bit on a couple of things. Didn't really work out. No, no, he hasn't really worked out. Hannity's
0: his own own man on that. Um, Hannity's interesting because he has gone so far off the deep end that, you know, he he sounds like Alex Jones, you know, at this point. You know, is the conspiracy It's very thin line between the two. Yeah. It's it's impressive. You know, I've watched Sean Hannity for years and years and years. I've been affiliated with Media Matters on and off since two thousand five. So I always thought that he was just really like the party guy, like whatever it was, the party line was. But like, he actually is a true believer of whoever that leader is of the Republican Party. Sean Hannity is bought in 100%. So when the leader of the party is Donald Trump, he is convinced that everything that Donald Trump says and all of those people around him that have these, you know, wild ideas about the deep state and, you know, all these conspiracies, fake media, et cetera, he's bought in 100%.
3: The deep state stuff is is like his bread and butter oh, these yeah. days. Mm-hmm. And he's convinced that there are, I mean, walk us through the deep state. I mean, essentially he thinks that there are leftover Obama holdouts who are
0: set to undermine the Trump administration and therefore America. Yeah. Um, all <laughs> and and this, therefore
3: America, Right, yes. you
0: know, through all these dangerous leaks that apparently are coming from Rince Priebus, so who, who knows? Yeah. Uh, a... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: yeah, it's just like, I, I, I've always kind of had a little bit of um, respect for Hannity. Oh. I'll put it this way. No, I, I don't now. I'm, I'm building up to my point. Yes. But like, Sean Hannity is a very gifted broadcaster. True. Right. He's Fair. a very gifted broadcaster, and I think for so long he really did know who his audience was and knew exactly how to speak directly to them. But I think that he's really lost it.
0: Yeah, I I would agree with that, or or, or perhaps he does think that that's where his audience is. At
3: Maybe this point. I don't know. I mean, I don't know that audience as well. But the way I see it, like there are there are some Republicans. Like I'll put it this way: I don't think that there are a lot of like Heartland Republicans, right, Right. who who essentially made Donald Trump president, Mm -hmm. who are out there going like, "Yes, Barack Obama is, you know, a deep state, right, uh, is ordering this these deep state covert actions," and now that he's out of office, I don't know that they're there. I don't know that they're with the Alex Jones crowd either. But I mean.
0: One of the things I wonder about Sean Hannity is, you know, he, he is fairly active on social media and Twitter. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the, the online audience, um, particularly on the right, does tend to skew a lot more towards this, like, conspiratorial, um, you know, ideas. And so perhaps he is getting this message because that's what's being reinforced um, when he's engaging with his audience that, you know, yes, this deep state exists, that, you know, the, they're, we're out to destroy America through, you know, these leaks that are happening and Obama holdouts and we need to purge everybody in the government, and all any number of things, you know, that they believe. So,
3: yeah. yeah. Oh, Who knows? God. So what's the future of Fox News? Because they, they don't have uh, like anybody really running the programming. They don't really, right. you know, I mean.
0: Well, I think they're flailing right now. I don't think they know what the future of Fox News is. Um, It's interesting to watch them have this identity crisis. Um, Their ratings, especially in primetime, I mean, they've never been lower as far as I'm aware. Um, You know, Tucker Carlson is tanking the five. I can't believe they moved that to primetime. It's just not even compelling television, let alone, um, you know, for the primetime Fox audience. And then, you know, there's Hannity, who's hanging on by a thread of sanity at this point. So, I don't I think like they the know I like that yeah i I just don't think that they they're having an identity crisis right now and they are losing their market they're losing their audience they're losing their relevancy um in that sense um and so we'll see that that actually can be pretty dangerous, you know we can we well, we can see um we know where they go from here, but I think it remains to be seen
3: yeah look i I, I see no stopping for the crazy in Fox News no. because they, they are they are essentially without a, a serious uh, rudder. I don't think they even know where they're going. So everyone's just kind of going off in their own weird world. And you got right. this Jesse Waters who was a Bill O'Reilly yeah. clone and oh, Bill yeah, O'Reilly yeah. protege who oh, yeah. is being mm-hmm. just as obnoxious mm-hmm. as Bill O'Reilly ever was. Right. You got Sean Hannity who's carrying on his, you know, conspiracy theories, Alex Jones esque mm-hmm. Shepard Smith is an angel, and nobody can say anything bad about <laughs> Shepard Smith. I'm sorry, I can't let you do that.
0: I would n- I actually would never say I know, anything right? bad about Shepard Smith. He is a he's a shining light in the in the Fox lineup. How does it's he still exist there? It's interesting. I don't. I I'm not sure. I mean, he sure. actively
3: says things like he yeah. essentially calls Trump a liar. Right. Full stop. Full right. stop. Yeah. And he's still there somehow.
0: Yeah, he, and he's been there for years. Actually, I, I go way back. I, I used to really enjoy um, Shep Smith's coverage of car chases. I don't oh, know, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, yeah. The joy that he would bring into the commentary to yeah. that was always so entertaining. He's so comfortable in that spirit. Yeah, yeah, he is. Um But it is interesting that Shep Smith has managed to be a voice on Fox as long as he has been, Um, especially because he just doesn't seem to care about toting the the party line, the network line. Um, You know, he's going to be his own voice, and that's awesome. I mean, that is great that he's still able to do that.
3: Media Matters for America. You can check out their website at mediamatters.org. I really do suggest you do that because you all really cut through so much of the clutter um
2: Appreciate that. whether thank it's you. fox
3: news or cnn or even msnbc sometimes like oh, yes. it's you, you really it's it's all about accuracy in media not yep. just towing the line which right. is refreshing uh thank you so much julie Milliken, uh senior advisor there uh at media matters Great. thank you so much for coming in we're thank gonna take you. a very very quick break we'll be right back with congressman al green from texas
2: stay tuned
1: Telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks.
2: Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show.
3: It is The Bill Press Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's a Friday, July 28th. My name is Peter Ogbren. I'm sitting in for Bill Press today. One last hour here on today's program. Remember, you can find the show on YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Also on Free Speech TV. And we are proudly part of the Young Turks Network, where you can find... A lot of our programming there with them. Also, don't forget, if you like the show but you can't listen to the whole thing, we put it all up on iTunes. The full podcast goes up just moments after the show. Jamie puts that together. and Make sure you get your hands on that. And one more quick plug, Patreon.com. Patreon.com slash show. We're putting up exclusive content there you can only get if you subscribe. It's about $5 a month. You get... Daily commentary from Bill, plus special interviews we put up. We're putting up an interview today, actually, with Ann Hornaday, film critic for The Washington Post, who has a new book out. We talk some summer movies. We talk uh, just general filmmaking. It's a lot of good stuff.
4: My favorite Patreon interview so far was Mm. the one we did with Ann Hornaday.
3: She's really, really good. She's really, really good. Uh, Joining me in studio is the Congressman Al Green from Texas. Congressman, good to see you.
7: My honor to be with you again, and hello to your listening audience.
3: Thank you so much for coming in. We're going to get right into where we stand with health care, impeachment, and lots of other things. But first, <laughs> David Benson, the headline is the Full Court Press.
4: Just a couple of other stories for you on this Friday morning. We begin, this is just a guilty pleasure, my home state of Maine. That's yeah, where we right. got to begin, Right. Uh, Some news yesterday, Governor Paul LePage, arguably one of the worst governors in this country, the lone blind spot there for for Mainers, (laughs) uh, said on Thursday he believes that Maine Senator Susan Collins, also a Republican, uh, is oh, no. going to go ahead and run for governor in 2018. Really? Uh, she has been considering it. Susan Collins uh, has gone on record and said that she's going to decide this fall whether or not she'll be running for Maine governor in 2018. Uh, currently, she ranks 15th in seniority in the Senate, has been in the Senate for two decades. Uh, but LePage says, quote, I think she knows what she's doing. She's planning to run for governor.
3: Let me just say this. If she's going to run for governor, Paula Page is not going to be the first person to know.
4: Well, the problem with this is that Paula Page is considering running for Senate. Uh, So there
3: is a scenario in
4: which they could literally switch places, which would be awful for the country.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that would be bad.
4: Some more news from the health care vote late last night. A funny light moment, if you will. Uh, During the debate, Senator Tim Scott was uh, on the floor of the Senate. When all of a sudden he was hit in the head by a reporter's notebook. No! Yeah. Uh, from the press gallery, Haley Bird of the Independent Journal Review, she's the one that uh, distracts us with uh, cute photos of dogs on the hill. Good for her, I guess. Haley Bird's uh, notebook <clears throat> fell on Tim Scott's head. Uh, ben Sass was standing right next to him. I believe there was some light laughter. Uh, Tim Scott was Okay. Uh, at the end of it, but uh, not 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 everything was so serious last night. You've got to be careful.
3: you will got to be careful out there. You
4: most certainly have to be careful. And finally, we will go to uh, Congressman Al Green's home state of Texas. Uh, this was making some news yesterday. Governor Greg Abbott signing a bill into law last month that people are now talking about about how now adults in Texas will be legally allowed to openly carry knives with blades longer than 5.5 inches. That means you can carry swords and machetes in the state of Texas beginning in September. Congressman, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but uh, it seems a little odd you're able to just carry swords and machetes anywhere you go in Texas.
7: (laughs) Well, in Texas, you he's been able to carry long guns, uh, rifles and shotguns, and you may not have noticed it, but a good many people have them in the back of their pickup trucks when they're riding around. And um, it seems to be associated with patriotism in Texas. Hmm. If you go to some of the rallies, you'll see people who show up with a rebel flag, Mm. a long gun, and a belief that the South is going to rise again. Uh, That's the kind of patriotism that I reject. And I'm sorry that the governor has decided that he would make knives an issue. You heard
3: it right here from Congressman Al Green. We're going to take a very, very, very quick break, just a couple of seconds, to allow uh, radio stations to join. And we'll be right back.
2: On your radio, on TV, and online, this is the Bill Press Show. It is
3: the Bill Press Show, five minutes past the hour here on a Friday, July 28th. My name is Peter Ogburn, and I appreciate you coming and joining the show. We've got so much to talk about, but if you're just now waking up, the big news is Obamacare survives another day. Last night, the Senate failed to push the, quote, skinny repeal through. John McCain, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, all voting to stop that. I'm joined now by Congressman Al Green from the state of Texas. Congressman, thank you for joining
7: me. Thank you so much. Uh, I saw the intrigue. I was up uh, from about 2.30 a.m. until, quite frankly, right about now. Really? I'll take a little bit of a nap after thereafter. But it was something to see people having to grapple with voting for a bill that they didn't support. You Now, you, I, I've never seen anything
3: quite like this, Congressman, because what we, if we really get down to what we're talking about here, when they were talking about the skinny repeal, they got to a point where they said uh, the Senate would vote on this skinny repeal if the House promised to take it to conference, essentially killing it. Exactly. So they were voting for a bill that they knew was going to die, which the House, part of their argument for getting it out of the House was to get it to the Senate because they knew it would die there. Now, is that how government works?
7: It's not how it's supposed to, but apparently it is. And uh, you might recall that the president called the House version a mean bill. Uh, So you have this mean bill that passed the House. Uh, The Senate did not take it up. But the Senate takes up something that is even meaner, if if Mm. I may say it this way. Sure. A bill that would strip uh, the Affordable Care Act of the individual mandate, the employer mandate, uh, would cause about 16 million people to lose insurance, increase costs by about 20 percent. It was a piece of trash that they were voting on, and they knew it, and they didn't want to have their names associated with it. And I I must say this, uh, I, I am grateful to John McCain for coming back uh, under such, such extreme conditions. Uh, he has reason to be at home. He has reason to be uh, trying to put himself in a position so that he can be rehabilitated, and I hope that he will. But he came back and he did the right thing, and he gave a signal, an indication, if you will, that he would do the right thing when he came back, and he gave that floor speech indicating that we should go back to regular order so that we could uh, inculcate, if you will, some Democrat, d- democratic ideas into this process. So I'm I'm pleased that he did it and grateful. One more thing on this. This really has not been about health care. No. This has not been about uh, repeal and replace. Let me give you a different slant. This has really been about um, a desire to kill and erase, to kill the Affordable Care Act and erase the legacy of Barack Obama. That's what it's been about.
3: It seems to me that so many moves that Donald Trump makes and the Republicans make is purely that, to erase the the, the legacy of Barack Obama. Even if you look at the, uh, the announcement on the transgendered troops, right? Barack Obama made a lot of great progress for members of the transgender community. And because he was for it, Donald Trump is knee-jerk against it.
7: He is antithetical to the president. He's the guy who carried on this... Uh, notion, really an inane idea, that the president was not an American citizen. Yeah. Uh, and he made. Disgusting. Yeah. He made himself a national icon for those who were a part of that movement to uh, somehow delegitimize uh, uh, the president. Well, unfortunately uh, for him, uh, it didn't work. Fortunately for us, it did. But you're right. He has been against the president's uh, Affordable Care Act. And what he did to the trans community was uh, insulting. Um, it, it, it denies the legitimacy of them as human beings, in a sense, in his mind. It, it put them in a position where they are going to be denied due process. He didn't have enough respect for the community to at least have some sort of intelligent dialogue with people who could help him to better understand the issue. I regret that he did it, but it did expose him as a person who is not sensitive to all Americans. To be a patriotic American has little to do with who you are other than you desire to serve your country.
3: Amen. Amen. And, you know, last time I checked, Texas has its fair share of military members. I lived in Texas for a little while, and I, I, I got a feeling you know a couple military members in your district. Um,
7: do they care? The people that I have talked to have not made an issue of who people are, but rather how they perform. And if you can perform, you ought to be given the opportunity to do the job. Uh, it's, It's based upon your merits. You should succeed on your merits or fail on your demerits. And my position is very simply this. If we're going to have any type of cohesiveness in the military, you cannot have the person at the top making impulsive commentary such as what the president has done. He has a proclivity for extreme impulsivity, and this extreme impulsivity is a way of dividing people, not bringing them together. He rarely has an idea that would bring people together, unify people. His ideas seem to divide. And for this, this, coupled with what he has done with Comey, I'm not going to segue into it, I just want to say it, he really should be impeached. He should. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. I,
3: I want to come back to that in just a moment. One, one last thing I want to say about the—it's not specifically about the transgender thing, but at, to, to your point, uh, there was a reporter for Axios that got a comment from a senior Trump administration official that essentially said this was done, the transgendered uh, uh, ban was done, because it would force people in battleground states to—democrats uh, in battleground states to have to come out and say— we are with these people, and to try and start some sort of a culture war, so to your point you're absolutely right. this was all about dividing it is it's not about anything other it's not about you know uh, the cost of it, which he said it was, or the distraction which he said that it was, which was also said about African Americans serving mm-hmm. in the military as well. It was about dividing uh Americans
7: and which, which is what he does yeah and he does and here here's the truth if you can take one um, set, if you will, of decent, law-abiding Americans, and if you can cast a shadow over them that would cause others to look at them askance, you can do it to others. You can do it to anybody. So we ought not allow this. We really have to stand up for each other or we won't have anybody to stand up for us. It's important for us to do this. So let me just say this to the trans community. I promise you, that as long as I'm in Congress, you got at least one vote that will always respect humanity, your humanity, because I want people to respect my humanity.
3: That's 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 big. And I, I know that there are people out there who appreciate that. And that's that's the right way to be. That's the Thank right you. place to be. You mentioned impeachment. Yes. You mentioned the I word. We've yes. talked to you a couple of times about uh, your plans to impeach uh, Donald Trump. Where are we now with that? Has that moved forward? Or are we still? Because I will say there was there was a moment with when you looked at the Comey testimony and you looked at a lot of stuff. We as a nation were sort of caught up in that, in that uh, sort of fervor over it. Um, and I'm not saying that it's cooled off, but I definitely think that it's important that we keep people going after it.
7: Well, let's start with uh, the most recent thing that we've done. There was talk, and uh, it went beyond talk. Actually, it was published that uh, there was uh, some idea that the president might um, pardon himself. Uh, There's been some notion that impeachment might allow the uh, president to be exempt. Uh, That's not true, of course. I don't believe that the president is exempt such that he can commit a crime and then pardon himself. Mm -hmm. I just don't believe that. I'd like
3: to think that our justice system is a little more
7: sound than that. But uh, so as to make things uh, clear, because there are constitutional scholars that say that the the Constitution really doesn't address it, yesterday we filed an article uh, of amendment to the Constitution to uh, amend uh, Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution to indicate that the president cannot issue a reprieve or pardon uh, to himself or for himself. Uh, that makes it clear that he can't do it. Now, I hope we'll never have to use it. I didn't uh, file it so that it would be used right away or be taken up right away, but such that it would be there in the Mm -hmm. event a rogue president, and by the way, I I understand it should be roguish president, but if we have a rogue president, I I prefer to use the word this way, uh, a president who is dishonest, rogue means dishonest and unprincipled. Mm -hmm. If you've got a rogue in the White House, uh, we can use this to prevent him from doing a roguish thing. It would be roguish for a president to pardon himself.
3: A president who commits a crime and then pardons himself and his entire staff—that is not a democracy.
7: That—that—that is—I I,
3: I, I don't know what you define that as. Roguish is—is good, but it is not a democracy. Well,
7: here's—you have at that point, if you allow this, you have allowed everybody to be under the law, subject to the law, except the president of the United That's States it. of America. And that is not a democratic principle that I would uh, want to see implemented. So I'm against it. Now, to continue with this, um, I think that um, we have uh, a unique opportunity to do this in terms of presenting articles of impeachment. The unique opportunity exists because I have signed on to articles of impeachment with Mr. Sherman, who is also a co-sponsor of the amendment to the uh, Constitution to prevent the president from pardoning himself, along with Mr. Moulton. uh, We've done this. Um, I'm waiting to see if these articles are going to be taken up by the Senate, uh, by the uh, House Judiciary Committee. If the House Judiciary Committee acts, then there's not a need to take impeachment to the floor. But if the House Judiciary Committee does not act, uh, then there will be a need. And I, I feel the sense that the House Judiciary Committee is not going to act. Mm. And that sense is causing me to believe that we are much closer to taking articles of impeachment to the floor uh, than I had hoped we would be. I was hoping that the House Judiciary Committee would have some movement. So I will take it to the floor. And by the way, whether anybody else votes for impeachment or not, there will be one vote. Yeah. Uh, I assure you I will do it. And I'm doing it because it's really the right thing. And history has shown us that when you're doing the right thing, the righteous thing, you can be a majority of one because history will vindicate you. Anybody who votes to impeach this president when we bring those articles of impeachment to the floor will be vindicated by history. He is a corrupting influence on the body politic. You look at what's happened in that White House since he's been there. You've got the attorney general, who has had to recuse himself. You've got his deputy, who had to appoint a special counsel. You've got his son-in-law, who is engaged in a questionable meeting with Russians about a campaign and the possibility of some sort of quid pro quo. His son is the person who brought the son-in-law to the meeting. You had his campaign manager at that meeting. Before he got uh, off to a good start, he fired Miss Yates because she would not agree to what uh, many scholars have said was an unconstitutional policy that he's trying to implement with regards to uh, Islam, uh, he has wreaked havoc across the length and breadth of the White House, and at some point, a corrupting influence has to be extricated. The means by which it's extricated is impeachment. He has also obstructed justice when he fired the person who was investigating the Russians for their involvement in the presidential election and went on national TV and confessed yeah. that that was sufficient for uh obstruction of justice charges to be brought against him in the congress so uh, I, I agree I, I, I think I that's a it. slam
3: dunk I think you're right that's a slam dunk absolutely that was uh that was obstruction of justice and not only that with the we we how soon we forget because there's so much stuff happening but his son putting out the emails where he took a meeting with the Russians to try and get opposition that is, on on Hillary Clinton that is collusion. Whether or not that is treason, that's another conversation. But that is by definition that is collusion. You are colluding with another country to corrupt our system. Like that is by admission collusion.
7: Well, you you do have a little bit more evidence to support it when he indicated that he loved it. Uh, yeah. He he he, yeah. he he gave a very positive response to the offer that was made. So in a sense, he gave his verbal acceptance. Um, It will be interesting, in my opinion, to see how they all respond to the inquiries that are being made. But here is a point that is very clearly uh, something that should have been considered. What they did was probable cause enough for a grand jury to investigate. If we had a prosecutor who was uh, looking into this with clear vision and decided I'm taking this before a grand jury to investigate what happened, you can bring every one of them before a grand jury. You get them in there. They've got to tell the truth. If they don't speak truthfully to the grand jury, then they've committed another offense. And when you take people before a grand jury, it's seen as serious. When you go before a committee of the House, it's seen as Uh, something that's political you take the politics out when you take people before a grand jury and a prosecutor could have taken them before a grand jury
3: uh the fish rots from the head is the saying right donald trump is the head of this administration you look down the list you made a pretty clear case you've got all kinds of problems um if
7: we were to impeach trump
3: where does it end
7: well, let's, let's deal with where it begins because it, it's important to understand this. That's fair. It, you, if you impeach Trump, here's what you prevent. You prevent the continual, uh, continued erosion and corruption of the political order. You prevent that. Mm-hmm. But you also prevent something else. You prevent him from being impulsive such that, and this is uh, my speculation, that he might engage us in a conflict Uh, that could create a circumstance where a lot of lives can be lost. I just don't know that he measures his actions before he takes them. He seems not to, given what he did with the trans community, given what he said about President Obama uh, uh, taping and wiretapping him, uh, given what he said about the president not being a citizen. So he has this this extreme impulsive uh, moments. And my fear is that it might cause us to do something that could be quite harmful. So now, so you eliminate that. Then if that happens, then um, Vice President Pence will become uh, President Pence. Uh, There are people who fear having a President Pence to the extent that they'd rather have a President Trump. I am not one of the persons who uh, harbors Mm. uh, that kind of fear. Mm -hmm. I think that we have to realize that a President Trump Because he is so unpredictable and because we know that war is a means by which people have uh, tried to galvanize the country, uh, we have to protect ourselves from this. That's the extreme example of what can happen under a President Trump. We got a lot of things to
3: talk about with uh, Congressman Al Green. Uh, we're going to talk about the latest on the health care bill in just a moment. Remember, we are tweeting at BP Show at BP Show, and we got a little couple of tweets here to read. Jamie, couple of tweets here. Tweet us. Tweet at us at BP Show.
4: Johnny Riddle uh, at Johnny Ray Riddle on Twitter says, "Rogue, compromised, and guilty as f." For hating America and having no respect or tolerance for our country's true values. Nice
3: little self-edit there, Jamie. That's Johnny, of weird.
4: course, is talking about... We've had to edit ourselves a lot this uh, it's morning been, it's been with those mooch uh, quotes earlier. On the subject of health care, uh, Congressman Al Green just a few min- minutes ago called that a trash bill. DJ's Jam on Twitter agrees. He says it was junk and nobody in their right mind should have voted for it. Uh, one more tweet on health care here. Professor Lex says Republicans can't manage their own party, can't manage America,
3: resist and resign. I love it. I love it. If you've got your comments, make sure you find us on Twitter at BP Show. A couple comments there on health care, Congressman. So health care, the repeal of Obamacare sort of died another, if maybe temporary. We don't know where they're going to go from here, but uh, died another death last night. Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, John McCain voting no against that. Um, where does it go now? Because Republicans have still got this promise out there that they're going to repeal it. Uh, where does it, let me ask you this, where does it go now and what obligation do Democrats have to sort of get involved on the healthcare fight at this point?
7: Well, uh, the Republicans have placed their politics above policy that benefits the American people. Uh, they are trying to keep a promise that they made when they never thought they'd have to take the votes that they've had to take. It was easy to say repeal and replace, and I've got a great plan. Remember now, they all had a plan. They all had a plan until they had to produce the plan. And then we find out that there really was no plan. As a matter of fact, their former leader, Mr. John Boehner, said that that was all happy talk. We now know what happy talk is, (laughs) what they have just Uh, been engaged in, this whole dialogue about we've got a great plan and we're going to make it uh, so much better and it's not going to cost very much. Uh, That plan does not exist, apparently. So I think that they'll still come back to the drawing board. I don't think that they have walked away from it entirely, so I'm not sure what they'll do next. But now with reference to Democrats, uh, Democrats, in my opinion, have always been amenable to amending the Affordable Care Act. Uh, They have been willing to legislate, not eviscerate, why would you eviscerate something that has brought 20-plus million people into insurance, uh, health care, something that has eliminated preexisting conditions as a means by which you could not get insurance? Why would you, Why would you want to eviscerate that? That has allowed persons who are up to 26 years of age to stay on their parents' policies. Why would you want to eviscerate that? Democrats have said, we're willing to work on amendments. We're willing to work on a means by which we can... Uh, shore up, uh, strengthen uh, the Affordable Care Act, but not eliminate it. So th- here's the point. They call uh, negotiation capitulation. That's that's what they want. Mm-hmm. We'll negotiate with you if you'll capitulate. Well, Democrats are not going to p- com- capitulate. They're not going to just roll over and say, okay, let's go ahead and do what you want. Uh, there has to be some sense of serious engagement around the issues of Uh, making sure that pre-existing conditions don't prevent people from getting insurance, Uh, making sure that we uh, shore up the individual market, Uh, making sure that uh, young people who don't have jobs uh, can stay on their parents' policies until they do. The economy is coming around, but we still can uh, allow people to stay on those policies. So I think that that I don't speak for all Democrats, but uh, for those who agree with me, I speak for you. Amen. Uh, (laughs) uh, I think that we we should uh, engage but engaged based upon principle, not politics. Yeah, I, uh,
3: I I think that's the place Democrats have to be. I think we're at a point now where Democrats are going to have to kind of find their voice after taking taking a couple of hits during the election. Um, single payer.
7: I'm a single payer guy. Okay. And uh, everybody I, else there, or
3: is, or is all the I, other uh, members? I I, of I, there?
7: I can't speak for other members of Congress. Haven't polled them, mm-hmm. but I can tell you that I was for the public option. Amen. I, I thought that would have been. It was a sort of a fallback position, if you will. It wasn't plan A for me. I mean, plan A, it was plan A in the sense that the real plan that I wanted, the pu- pu- the uh, uh, single payer, was not available. So I guess it became plan B. Mm-hmm. And I was for it. But that was taken off the table. So I'm still a single payer guy. It would be very easy to have a Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. And uh, we would have a system that would provide good health care for every person in the country, not every American. Every person in the country. Health care is not something you acquire by birthright. It's it's not. It's something you acquire by being a human being and you're sick and you need medical attention. If I'm in Canada and I get sick, they're going to take me to a doctor and I'm going to get health care. That's what health care is all about, taking care of the sick. It's a right that nobody can take from you But it is something that people can deny you if they choose to put politics above policy.
3: That that is music to my ears, really and truly, because I think that one of the big lessons from the presidency of Barack Obama, which had a lot of wins, a lot of successes, I think that when Barack Obama tried to compromise and took public option off the table, took single payer off the table to try and get some Republicans to come on board, and they didn't, I think the lesson now is do not compromise. Go to what you want, go to what you know is best, go to what you think helps the most people, and you make it happen and settle for nothing less. Because they're not going to come to the table and work with you guys, the Republicans. They're not going to. Well,
7: I, I think uh, I'm I'm hearing you say stand on principle. Yes, sir. And I think we have outlined, we have published what our principles are, and we have to stand on those principles. Um, our messaging, our, our, what we want people to know is that there is a better deal people than what has been uh, presented by the Republican Party. And that better deal does include better health care. It does include better jobs. It includes a better opportunity for you to succeed on your merits. Uh, I think that that's what the American people expect of us. But they also expect something else. They want us to fight. Yes. They wh- Whether yes. you win is not as important as whether you're willing to fight for what's right. Uh, People have good sense. They understand that if the odds are against you, you may not win. But they expect you to at least be the David that will stand up to Goliath. Now, hopefully you'll take him down. But what you can't say is, I can't fight him because he's too big. You've got to say, I'm going to fight him because he's so big I can't miss him if I take my shot. So we've got to at least stand up. And if we'll do that, it galvanizes our base of support. People People say to us all the time, uh, what are you doing? That's a way of saying, are you fighting? Mm-hmm. Are you standing up for those things that will make a difference in my life? And I think that we as Democrats have to fight for what's right.
3: I love what you're doing. I think you got a really important voice. I'm glad you're using it, and I hope you come back here often because every word that comes out of your mouth rings true to me.
7: Well, I, I'm grateful that you allowed me to be here, and to your audience, I want you to know there will be impeachment brought to the floor of the Congress of the United States of America.
3: Let's go get it. Let's go get it. That's Congressman Al Green from Texas joining us. Can't thank you enough for being here. Come back again soon, Congressman. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill. Very quick break. We'll be right back with Mark Bull, writer of the new movie
2: Detroit. The ayes are 49. The nays are 51. The motion is not agreed to. The amendment is not agreed to download our podcast search for the bill press show on itunes and remember to rate review and subscribe this is the bill press show Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show.
3: It is The Bill Press Show. My name is Peter and sitting in for Bill Press today. Remember, if you like the show, you can get the podcast every day on iTunes. Just look for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. Put the whole show up there without commercials. Jamie does that every day. And we also have uh, snippets of the show that go up on YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. All day and over the weekend, so you can go watch those sort of on demand. You don't have to be here live if you don't want to, but we're going to have everything up there for you to uh, digest at your leisure. Make sure you check that out. I'm joined now by Mark Boll. He is the writer of movies such as The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty, and most recently, Detroit, which is coming out. uh, What's the release date on that? Oh, August 4th. Nationwide, August 4th.
6: Is that right? That is correct, but it is opening limited- This weekend, oh nice! in 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 some cities which I could name. Let's do it. If you're curious, I'm curious. New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, DC, Dallas, San Francisco, Houston, Atlanta, Baltimore, and of course Detroit. Nice this this weekend. Nice, all right. DC, I'm going this weekend. You should go
3: this weekend. DC, Baltimore in the area, and Chicago. Listening on WCP, it's open there. Really, you're going to want to go check this out. But if you aren't familiar with Detroit. We're going to talk to writer Mark Bowl about what is Detroit. Give us I, the trailer, I will say, says, you think you know the story, but you don't know the whole story of what happened at the
6: Algiers Motel in 1967. What did happen? So the movie looks, just to peel back for one second, the movie kind of looks starts out looking at the broader picture. 1967, Detroit experiences one of the most violent episodes of civil unrest. In American history,
3: mm-hmm.
6: and then, which obviously was very widely known at the time, but people have forgotten that history. And then we kind of funnel down to this one incident at the Algiers, and uh, it's a very intense and dark story, and a powerful story. And um, I don't know how much of it you want me to give away, but but
3: how much you there, feel like giving away? I there, mean, look, there, I, there, I, I think
6: it, I'm I'm, a, I'm familiar with the story, and I think it's one that everybody needs to know about uh it, it's a it's a story of of what happens when when a group of people who happen to be staying at a at a at a hotel um encounter a police squad that's on a kind of rampage and there are some very criminal things that happen as a result of that three young african american men end up being killed by the police and uh the, the many other people who survived that night have to go on to uh reconstitute their lives And so the movie kind of charts the crime and also the aftermath.
3: Yeah. Um, I I think that... Let's park for a second on 1967, because you look at the late 60s as a very volatile time here in America. Um, And I think that you look at 1967, you look at 1969, I mean, all these incidents that really kind of shaped where we are now. But... I also don't know that we've learned a whole lot from, from that, right? Like, I still look at the things that happened today, and it's still a huge
6: problem. So, was well, this that's, so- that? That's one of the I think values of looking back yeah. is that you get to uh, perhaps reevaluate the present in light of the past. But things have changed, and things have not changed, and and uh, that sounds too simple, and maybe it is. But uh, we're obviously it, still dealing with the divided aspect of the country and with the uh, uh, great strife between African-American communities and the police departments that um, that serve them.
3: I think, you know, we'll look at the incidents over the last couple of years, you know, whether it's, you know, Michael Brown and St. Louis or Ern Ferguson and uh, Trayvon Martin and all these very violent uh, uh Incidents that have happened, particularly against African Americans, it, it's a reminder that like this has been around for a while, and we have got so much progress, or we we've made so much progress. But we've got so much farther. We've got to go, right? For other people that think that we've come so far, there's a there are miles to go.
6: Yeah, and it's not a new issue. I guess is the is is the point that I would make that all of these things that we see on the news every day or or all are, are all too often sadly are part of a continuum and that continuum stretches way way back in american history. Talk but I don't, I don't want to make the movie sound by the way like a like a history lesson cuz it's really it's really not and we uh it's a very it's a very powerful gripping eye-opening kind of experience that you won't you won't you won't want to get up and go get popcorn and say let me this is boring i'll come back to my lesson later. It's It's a movie movie. By the way, we just interviewed
3: uh, Anne Hornaday from the Washington Post, the film critic. uh, She was in the studio, which you could watch the interview at patreon.com BP show. And she said the movie is like amazing. She said, that, "And, and that's, the storytelling—that's
6: story. great to hear because yeah. she's she's an important critic. <laughs> <laughs> so at least you know you've got that going for you." She hey, we're, so far, we're 100 percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. So, really? So knock wood that that sticks. But that's amazing, man. That's a cool thing.
3: So you talk—I mean, it, it, it's it's a dramatic thriller. So how do you sort of tell this story, which is based on
6: historical events, in a way that um, that that makes it a thriller?
3: I guess is what I'm getting at.
6: Well, the thriller part of it is really inherent in the in the actual event uh because you had um as i said these people in the hotel trying to survive an incredibly dangerous volatile situation and so the suspense is built in and the the stakes are built in and um you know as a screenwriter and as filmmakers we have to try to be respectful of that and authentically um, represent that without getting sensationalistic i guess
3: yeah what happened um at the algiers motel for people who don't know about the 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 actual story
6: well there that's where i'd say you should go see the movie
3: okay fair all right (laughs) totally okay all right go see the movie to go find out exactly what happened um it's to say it's racially charged that time that it focuses on would sort of be an understatement i think um and you focus on sort of the fallout from it so you sort of tell the story of people dealing with it afterwards
6: yeah i mean to say to say that is true but it's also as you as you pointed out earlier the 60s are a time of of lots of different contradictory things going on at once so there there is this this incredible um uh tension in american society between um between african-american communities the police and the government more broadly, but then there's also young people who are kind of breaking racial barriers um, left and right. And um, and so the movie tries to kind of represent all of that, which is obviously impossible to put in one film, but to yeah. but to at least touch on all of that.
3: Yeah. When you look at sort of where we were there and where we are now, where what differences do you see? I mean, do you see where we've moved forward a little bit?
6: Well, I mean, I... What I really know is this story. It's a tough question. question, Yeah, yeah. it's a tough question just because it's so broad. But one of the biggest things I noticed is uh, in the Detroit Police Department, um, and we were lucky enough to be able to screen the film for the senior leadership of the department, and uh, they, they responded very well to it and are talking about showing it to the rest of the department. But the point I wanted to make is that in 1967, just if you want to get into the demographics of it, the Detroit Police Department was uh, overwhelmingly white, and I think it was less than 10 percent African American. And so, um, whereas the, the, that that it was not reflective of the demographics of the city at all, and so you basically did have um, this really stark divide between the police department and the community. And today, uh, those numbers have sort of flipped, and the police department, uh, which struggles with crime just as uh, in the same way that every other um, urban police department does, is actually one of the most diverse in the nation. And so, it really has transformed itself, and that's um, that's a that's a sign of a hopeful sign that I think is worth is worth noting.
3: Uh, let's talk about film craft a little bit. Film you're uh, you're a, uh, you're an Oscar winner more than once, right? You have best picture for the Hurt Locker and best original screenplay, uh, nominee for zero dark 30, which I just, well, no, zero dark 30, by the way, is one of those movies. It came on over the weekend mm-hmm. and I'll just like, once it comes on, no matter where it is in the movie, I'll just pick it up and just start. and I, I can't walk away until I'm
6: finished. That's awesome. It's just Thank a
3: real. it's just like a well done. I mean, the Hurt Locker is an amazing movie too. Thank you. Uh, but Zero Dark Thirty just kind of, its the story is told so well. How,
6: I mean, writing a story like that. It... This one was tough because um, in, in in both of those two that you mentioned, you kind of have a, signal, a single protagonist mm-hmm. that you can follow the whole thing through. And here it was uh, a little tougher because we wanted to... Um, the, the movie does focus on, on on one person, but at the same time, it's a lot of different people's stories. And we wanted to kind of represent the 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 points of view of all the different people that were at the hotel that night and mm-hmm. that it, not not at the hotel, but that were at the hotel and got pulled into this police dragnet. So it was um, harder because you're trying to tell the story of of the victims and you're also to a lesser extent trying to tell the story of the police who were there. And, um, it's a big cast and it becomes this kind of teeming, um, thing where when you're watching it, you see all these different people going through all these different emotions and life experiences. But, um, you know, hopefully it worked out. And I think, I think the result is that it it gives a kind of, um, impression of, of you really being there and experiencing the events themselves. And I think Catherine did an amazing, Catherine Bigelow, the director did an amazing job kind of creating that intensity
3: that when the movies that you write and the movies that she directs it, it absolutely it becomes immersive right like you just completely become a part of the movie
6: which is I think what, like what any good movie really does yeah yeah she's really good at that at kind of making you feel like you're not watching a movie but you're just sitting there in the room with whatever is going on yeah and um, and especially with something like this where it is uh historic in nature and it is uh 50 years ago there's the danger sometimes period movies feel a little bit uh dusty Mm -hmm. to me and they feel a little bit you can kind of there's a slight sort of snooze factor in in there somewhere because it does seem like it's not really happening in a contemporary way but um you know we struggled against that to try to try to make it lively and that's where and that's where her skill set is really Really impressive. Okay,
3: okay, one more, one last thing about when we talked to uh, um, Anne uh, Ann Hornaday, she said that like it is a movie set in a period of time that doesn't feel anything like it. Like it doesn't feel like it has any of those old trappings of like a period movie. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So you got that that's going nice. for you, yeah. which is nice. So, Jamie. Mark,
4: when we talk about Catherine Bigelow and being a female director in Hollywood, we know there's not many of them. Uh, we talked on the show often about a year and a half ago uh, when the Oscar so white hashtag was trending. Uh, We talk about representation in Hollywood. We're still seeing only minor gains when it comes to getting persons of color and women uh, in these big positions. In your in your mind, what's it going to take to get more female directors, more African American directors, Latino, Asian, and so on?
6: So I actually just didn't have my earpiece in there, but I heard I heard the I heard (laughs) unfortunately I heard the gist. Can you, well, how would you rephrase that question now that you've heard it and I haven't? <laughs> well, if we
3: looking at sort of where we were with filmmaking, there was, there's been a, a, a lack of minority representation. You look at right, like, right. Catherine Bigelow being one of the notable female directors. Right. Uh, and there aren't really a lot of them. Right. Um, sort of where have we come with that and where's the, where,
6: where are we going with it? Boy, that is, that is definitely beyond, above and beyond my pay grade. <laughs> I think <laughs> that, um, um, you're right, though. Then the question is—is—is is, is obviously true that um, uh, there aren't that many uh, women in 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 making movies of this nature, and and uh, and and there aren't that many um, uh, minorities m- making uh, uh, movies of this nature. But um, I don't know. I can only talk about sure. my experiences, and 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 in my experience. You know, I will say that one one piece of it that's important to this one is that Megan Ellison, who is the uh, owner of this owner and the and the head of the studio, Annapurna, that um, finance and, and is distributing the movie, has been very supportive of of Catherine and myself, and um, really, I think is unique in her willingness to take big gambles on on material that's not so down the middle of the plate. I mean, the reality of it is that most movies that are made today are uh, based on comic book IP or uh, yep. emojis or whatever. And so, the, and not, not not to take anything away. I understand. I, 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 I there's, want, some, there's something perfectly I, I mean,
3: stupid about us living in 2017. And I'm saying this, not you. Us living in 2017, we have an emoji movie.
6: I, I'm down for the emoji movie. I want to see that. Sure, man. I'm taking my kids to see it probably. Yeah, yeah. And there's something wrong with them. It's just a lot of times it becomes <clears throat> excuse me at the exclusion of 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 of, of movies for, for grown ups. Yeah. And so that's really the wider shift that you see in the industry is that it's really become about um, about how do you make a movie that's 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 pretty much for kids. Yeah. And um, and it didn't used to be that way. Hollywood obviously used to have uh, a larger adult audience going back. I mean, if you go back to, you have to go back a, a, a while. But if you go back to the to the seventies, that's kind of what the the audience was. Um, on the issue <coughs> of race,
3: uh, lead in the movie is John Boyega, who we most, I guess, most recently saw, or most notably saw in the in the new Star Wars. Movie. Yeah,
6: yeah, he's incredible. He's a talented um, actor. Yeah, what's it like? Super working with talented that? actor. Um, he's he's, uh, I would say. Very very professional, calm, collected, a real pro, and I was um, just a little bit surprised by that because he's so young. Yeah. And um, but man, he is he is in it to win it, and I think that we're going to be seeing a lot more of him as time goes on.
3: Good. No, I think he did a great job with the Star Wars movie, but it also, yeah, me too. You know, like I just thought it was a just a good, well done performance. Absolutely. But like to really dig deep on something like this, I I, I can't wait to to see. Um. Detroit has a lot of political themes, mm-hmm. uh, clearly, uh, but it's from an incident that's a while back. Um, would you ever consider writing a movie about sort of the politics going on today?
6: Yeah, well, I. Um, it's funny you ask that. I'm, I'm working on a television show, uh, limited series, I guess they call it now. Nice. About the uh, 2016 election that we, oh just, that we just experienced. Yeah. Is it so true, detective been, three. Really <laughs> true detective season 3? True Detective season 3? Yeah, True Detective season Well, yeah. 3, 4 and 5. Yeah, right, right. So that's cool, man. Yeah. So that's been really interesting. Can we talk
3: about that or is that not something well, we can Well, I
6: don't I don't have that much to say at the moment because I'm still trying to unpack it all and still doing my homework. Yeah. But um and and man, it's like every day I turn on the turn on the news or open the newspaper, it it uh, the story changes a little bit.
3: That's the thing. Like we we even today's show, you know, we have a show that we plan, and we have a conference call about it at five o'clock every day. Useless. You gotta, and then by you the time we it. go on the air at yeah. seven in the morning, it's completely different. Yeah. So it's, that that I think is the real challenge here is like, how do you capture the big picture when it constantly changes?
6: Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Let me know if you figure that out. But well,
3: you do such a good job with sort of chaotic
6: themes. You know, yeah. I mean, the Hurt Locker is. So, I mean the. Well, that's through character, right? I mean, to answer your question, the way you tell it is by focusing on individual people Mm. so that it doesn't become a theme movie or a policy movie or an issue movie. It's the story of real people. And I mean, this one started the same way in that I met, I went up to Detroit in 2014 and I met with uh, people who had been there in 1967 and who had survived... The incident at the hotel, and it was in really in hearing their stories, and their recollections, and some people didn't want to talk about it. <clears throat> some people, excuse me, some people hadn't talked about it in fifty years.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: But it was really in hearing their stories that got me interested in this, in in telling the, telling the story and writing the movie, and so, I think, people want to see other people, they don't want to see a policy brief. Um, you know, or some schematic representation of a point of view on screen. And so um, that's kind of how I focus it.
3: And I think that it it translates so well because we, when we talk about the immersive quality of the movies that you've worked on, I, I think that so much of that is purely – I mean, the, the directing is amazing – but the storytelling and the character development and all that, like, you you care about the people. And it's like you'd really get brought into it. Thank you. Um, what are some of the stories you heard? Because you, you have this piece for Vulture that you wrote, Why I Wrote Detroit. And you mentioned you went up there and you heard some of the stories. What were some of the stories you heard?
6: Well, okay, so one of them, which is a kind of feature of the movie and the, that the movie follows, is about this guy whose name is Larry Reed. And mm-hmm. in 1967, he's 18 years old. And he is on the verge of an amazing career as a Motown uh, performer. He's got a band, a group called The Dramatics, which is uh, he put together with some of his playground buddies. And they're already opening for all the big Motown acts. They're playing at the Fox Theater. He knows the Supremes. He's opening up for them. And they're on the verge of getting a record deal. And... As it happened, just by pure luck, he and uh, some of the other members of the of the group were in that hotel that night. And the reason they were there is that the when the uh, rebellion and unrest broke out in Detroit, there was a curfew, and you had to be off the streets by five o'clock. And so they were on their way home after uh, going to the uh, Fox Theater for a performance, and they decided to rather than go home to check into this. Check into this place. The hotel had a swimming pool. It was kind of a hangout, inexpensive uh, spot that um, you know young people particularly congregated in. And so, anyway, they go to this place, and he's doing his thing and trying to trying to find some lady company for the evening and so forth. And um, through really no fault of his own, the the police. And the National Guard, who were on high alert because of, the, of the, all the uh, stuff that's going on in the city, hear reports and believe that there's sniper fire coming from the hotel. And the whole thing with the, with the Detroit uh, unrest is that there were constant reports of sniper fire. And some of, some of it is, was probably valid, but some of it was, was right. probably uh, because there, because it was so chaotic, police hearing other police or police hearing National Guard shooting – after the whole thing settled, they never actually were able to arrest and convict anyone of being a sniper. So there's a lot of historical dispute about whether, whether there really were actually snipers or if there were how big of a problem it yeah. was. And not to diminish that because even one sniper, obviously, if he's shooting at you, is, 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 is one too many. Sure, sure, <laughs> you know, sure. I'm but not that, trying yeah. to make it sound like there was no big deal. But, but in any event, to get back to the story, the law enforcement thought there was sniper fire coming from this hotel. And they reacted in a very aggressive fashion, shooting up the hotel and from the outside. And then they charged it and proceeded to um, interrogate all the people that were inside there to find out if any of them knew about the sniper. And so that's where Larry Reed, who is on his way a couple of hours earlier, his only problem in life is, is he going to get a record deal? And now his problem is, is he going to get killed by a uh unhinged police squad and um the movie sort of goes from there yeah
3: yeah yeah i mean it's uh, as we've said a couple of times that sounds a lot like things that happen today you got people who don't you know are only worried about small things and the next thing you know it's life or death because of a lot of different factors but the police being one of them uh the movie is Detroit. It's described as a dramatic thriller. I am so excited to see it. Uh, and if you're in any of the cities that we mentioned earlier, I urge you to go see it. Uh, I've never seen a bad movie that Mark Bull writes, so I Thank can't you. imagine he's going to start now.
2: Thanks, man.
3: Uh, Go check it out. Detroit. John Boyega is uh, the lead in that. It's going to be nationwide August 4th. Uh, but lots of cities this weekend, so please go uh, check that out. One more time uh, before we wrap up the show today, just in case you are waking up, uh, last night the Obamacare repeal did die, the skinny repeal did die. John McCain, Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, you owe uh, each of those Republican senators a word of thanks today because they actually stood up and uh, shut that down. So we are going to wrap up the show for today. Go and get the podcast. Go get the podcast it's on iTunes, Bill Press Show. If you can't get to iTunes, just go to the website BillPressShow.com. We've got everything right there. YouTube.com slash the Bill Press Show. All of our videos are there all throughout the day and over the weekend. We've got videos scheduled. And we're going to be putting up that interview that I referenced with Mark, with uh, Ann Hornaday, the food critic or the movie critic, excuse me, for the She watch. can probably write about food. She too. can write about anything. <laughs> She's so smart. She, you know, the whole thing, like, just a little bit of a takeaway. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't even she didn't even get into movies because she was like a, a, a movie person. She was just like a Is writer. That right.
6: Okay. I didn't she know worked that. for Gloria Steiner. She
3: worked for Gloria Gloria Steinem. Oh wow. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Ms. Magazine. Yeah. So anyway, we have the whole interview up there with Ann Hornaday, who has a new book out. We're gonna put it up on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash BP show. For our guest today, Julie Milliken from Media Matters, Congressman Al Green, and Mark Bull, writer of the new movie Detroit. Thank you. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday.
2: This is the Bill Press Show.